Today in our gospel reading, we hear how Jesus was brought an, a woman caught in adultery. So many times when we hear this passage, we focus, we hyper-focus on the role of the adulterous woman in the, the story. But today, instead of hyper-focusing on that woman, I want us to focus on the actions and the inactions in which Jesus does in the gospel reading. Because it's in the action and inaction of Jesus do we truly understand why Jesus was doing what he was doing, but most importantly, how it applies to you and I. In very much a gospel of St. John fashion, in, in John's writings, there's layers upon layers and things that we have to understand to really be able to engage this gospel reading. In that time, to be caught in adultery means not just one party is brought to justice, but both parties is brought to justice. So not just the woman, but also the man who was in that act also. But coincidentally enough, the only person that is brought to justice is the woman. Interesting. And as you look and dive deeper, the whole intention of the Pharisees and Sadducees was not even to cast judgment on the woman, but to use that as a ploy to catch Jesus. A ploy to see what he does and how he will react to it. Because if he stones the woman, or doesn't stone the woman, it illustrates where his loyalty lies. One, it's whether following the Mosaic law and stoning the woman for, for committing adultery, but on the other hand, that's also killing someone, which then looks back at the Roman law in which they're not permitted to kill anyone. Just before Jesus was teaching in the temple, Rome revoked their ability to kill anyone. And that allows us to understand why Jesus was brought to the Romans to be crucified and was not crucified by the Pharisees and Sadducees. So then what does that say for us, Jesus' action and inaction in this gospel reading today? It illustrates for us love, repentance, conversion, and a newness of life. Love. We may look at it weird and say that how is this love? Jesus asked the Pharisees and Sadducees, what do you say? In asking them what do you say, Jesus is inviting them to accuse her of her wrongdoing. Instead of him accusing them, he's reversing the question and asking the accusers exactly what she is being accused of. Putting the pressure back on them. You say that she has done something wrong. You tell me what she has done wrong. Because in his love, he's not focusing on the sin. You'll see why as we keep going. 
we move on to his action in which instead of pointing his eyes and focusing on the woman who commits adultery, he redirects everyone's attention back to the sand as he's drawing or writing. Which brings back, for those who understood that time, to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13, in which it says, O hope of Israel, O Lord, all who abandon you will be put to shame. Those who turn away will be written in the earth because they have abandoned the fountain of living water. Jesus is preparing to give the woman caught in adultery living water. Those that have condemned her are now oriented back to the sand, forgetting the meaning and purpose of why Jesus is doing what she is doing, eliminating the focus on her. But now back to the action in which Jesus is doing. As he directs their attention back to them, they get frustrated and antsy. Because it's like, why are you now condemning me for what I am doing? Now are you pointing the finger back on me? The focus was on the woman who committed adultery. I wanted you to make a judgment on her. But now you're pointing your fingers back at me? As they get antsy and uncomfortable, they ask Jesus, and Jesus responds again by saying, if you are sinless, cast the first stone. And then what does he do? He draws the attention back to his gesture of just drawing in the sand. And as they reflect and look at themselves, we hear in our gospel reading, it be, people began to leave, beginning with the oldest to the youngest. Because what he's doing then is bringing them back to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6 through 7, in which it says, Witness to testify to guilt are the ones to be executed. This begins the invitation for repentance. The focus not on the woman committing adultery, but how are we changing from our former ways? How are we straying away from condemning others of their sins and ignoring the sins that we ourselves are carrying in our own lives. And as they begin to reflect on it, they begin to leave. In that, we hope a conversion begins, a change of heart, because they're not interested in what may be, but what it has done to them. Because now they're leaving in silence because they have just pointed out and seen in themselves their own faults, their own weakness, their own frailty. As they begin to repent and convert their lives, we begin to hear a newness of life. In all of that, all that commotion, all that people leaving, Jesus didn't focus on the sin he didn't focus on the woman committing adultery. Because then what he does is he looks up at her and says, did no one cast the stone? 
in some sense at awe and shock in which nothing has happened to her. No one condemned her of her sins. But in say, instead of saying, I condemn you, I judge you, he invites her and says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. He's just given the woman caught in adultery new life. A new rejuvenation in the fact that as I repent and change my ways, I can be made anew again. Because I see something wrong. I see something deficient in my life. And I'm looking and trying to change to become better. With the help of God's grace, she begins to change. But in this newness of life, my dear brothers and sisters, what is that change meant to be? And St. John ties it in very beautifully and very simply in the first line of our gospel reading today. Jesus was praying in the Mount of Olives and then coming back to the temple to teach in early morning. In very subtle St. John aspect, we hear that is the illustration in which Jesus returns back, the glory of God returns back into the temple. For those who may not know, in Exodus, the glory of God left the temple because the people were not participating. They were betraying God and distancing themselves, distancing themselves from God. And so God leaves the temple. His glory leaves the temple and heads over the mountain of olives heading east. So then what is St. John drawing us to? From the east over the mountain of olives returns the glory of God. Jesus comes to restore us to newness of life. It's not a newness of life in which we become brand new but we embrace a new way of life, a new way of looking at things, but most importantly, a relationship that is intimately connected with Jesus Christ and his love. So then instead of calling the story the woman caught in adultery, it should be the story of God's compassion and restoration of our love to him. And to begin that restoration, we must first admit the necessity and need of God's love. In recognizing our love and our need for God's love in our lives, we then need to repent. Repent is an acknowledgement that I have done something wrong, or I have done something that is not right, or I have fallen short of doing what I'm supposed to do. And in recognizing and repenting and changing of our old ways, we're then called to conversion, in which we turn 180 degrees from our old way of life, leaving everything behind us, the remnants of sin, the remnants that hold us back to our past, and leaving all that behind, like we hear in St. Paul, and be changed convert it to be made anew again so that we can begin to embrace the newness of life. And that newness of life is the light of Christ in our lives 
that we don't need anything anymore. Nothing matters to us except our intimate relationship with God. And through that intimate relationship with God, everything else is informed, everything else begins to change, and everything that we endure has meaning and have purpose. So just like the adulterous woman, you and I have sin. We are broken and frail human beings. But are we going to be like the woman called in adultery today and be willing to acknowledge first and foremost that I need God's love? Are we going to change our ways? Are we going to leave our old way of life to embrace a new? Are we going to let God change us? Or are we still comfortable in where we're at? Are we still okay with the direction we're leaving? Are we still okay with the life of sin, the life of destruction, the life of darkness, and the life of hatred? Amen.